0: Argentina campeon del mundo, At last Messi's love has come along and it's the end of 2022 as we know it. I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich.
1: Good afternoon, happy holidays.
0: Hello Matt, happy Hanukkah. You've got your your jumper on and everything.
1: Yeah I do, I've got my little Jewish Christmas jumper which says (laughs) Oi to the world and if I have to explain (laughs) that joke it's probably not that funny because it's not even that funny in the first place. So for those of you that um, are watching, you can see it, and for those of you who aren't, I bet you didn't even know you could watch us. Yeah. Because um, well. there's all sorts of fun clips in the app. Um, but yeah, sorry if anyone thinks it looks ridiculous, but you have to put up with it for the next hour or so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can sit and watch the whole podcast if you want and, and get a great view of Match Jumper throughout. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let me give it a little. There you go. Oi to the world. Oh. <laughs> I'm sitting in a very low chair in my flat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if, uh, I suppose the big question on everybody's lips is have you done your Christmas shopping now?
1: Uh, well, actually, I'd take a few days off before Christmas to get it done in a panic, but if my girlfriend asks, then yes, I did it weeks
0: ago. <laughs> yeah, of course you did, of course you did. Well, well prepared, as usual.
1: Have you done it? I have,
0: yes. I finished mine yesterday, actually, but, um, I mean, most of it was done online this year, to be fair, so, uh, you know, that's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? But yeah, there you go. I'm a, I'm a yeah. a very sensible, thrifty guy, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's get stuck into the World Cup final chat because we saw a fantastic final on Sunday, which finished 3-3 after extra time. Argentina prevailing on penalties in the end, lifting the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Uh, Lionel Messi finally getting his hands on the trophy at the age of 35, of course. Uh, A lot of people say, Matt, that this was the best World Cup final ever. Was it the best World Cup final ever, do you think?
1: Uh, Well, the best World Cup final that I've ever seen (laughs) Certainly. So that's not everyone ever. Um, Yeah, I, I I was thinking about it, and there, aside from a red card and a massive fight, there literally was everything in the game. I don't know how you could argue it. There was there was the storyline of Messi. Obviously, there was a load of goals, some great decisions from the referee. Actually, um, there wasn't. You know, we weren't talking about VAR or this that other nonsense after the game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, had Mbappe sort of continuing his legacy, despite the fact he didn't win. There was you know with a the hat trick. There was some great saves. There was drama. Um, yeah, it was as far as I can remember. We were talking about the final for all the right reasons. Um, and some brilliant football on display and yeah I was watching it with some mates and like so into it that I didn't really care who won I wasn't really (laughs) asked either way but I was just so into it like it was just such a spectacle that I I sat a Sunday night had some dinner after the game calmed down I was lying in bed later that night and it just hit me all over again and I just had another (laughs) rush of adrenaline I was like wow that was mad what have I just seen like it, it kind of it just hit me all over again, the fact that we'd watched an absolute mental final when Messi had won it. So yeah, that was that was better than any Netflix Christmas movie that I could have potentially watched <laughs>
0: otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, it, it felt like a very historic moment, didn't it? Watching Messi lift the trophy and um, it was a, an yeah. absorbing game. I mean, was, I saw a lot of people saying it was the best final ever after the game and I was thinking, is that a bit of recency bias? But then you look down the years, there hasn't been too many great World Cup finals, certainly none of them in our lifetime. I mean, you might say 1966, the you know, 4-2 for England, you know, might be in the canon of best World Cup finals, but we're going back a long way and it's usually a bit of a kind of dull, insipid affair, really. So this was anything but, although I do wonder if maybe it was becoming a bit of a a sort of dull, insipid affair for about 80 minutes until France got one back. There wasn't a great deal going on in the game in the second half before then, was there? Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, like, I feel like... Argentina were kind of seeing it out in a weird way, and you know what's really funny is that ever since you brought up the fact that they conceded late on against Australia, and I was like, nah Argentina have got nothing to worry about." They've literally had a late rally against them in every single match since then, <laughs> um, which proves yet again that I do not know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it yeah, was it two late goals against Netherlands. Um, Semi final against Croatia. Was there a late goal?
0: No, that was nice and easy for them, wasn't it? That one. Forgetting
1: that. No, there wasn't. Oh, that was easy. And then obviously, you know, two goals in the space of a minute or two against France. So it was weird to see. It's weird to say there was nothing going on and Argentina were seeing it out because clearly they did a terrible job again at seeing it out. <laughs> but France just looked sort of, they didn't show up. It was really weird. They were mm. hitting it long and they took off Giroud early on and then still continued to play as if they had a big target man up there, which they didn't. It was all, it was all just a bit bizarre and they really looked lost. They looked out of ideas and it kind of takes, um, I think this is where France was so good. Like the swinging momentum from the penalty, they used it to their advantage. Like they weren't playing well, but they were like, "Okay, this has given us a bit of wind in our sails, so let's just go with it. Let's just use this mental advantage rather than them discovering some sort of key that allowed them to play better."
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll come back to the sort of game in in a bit more granular detail uh, in a little while, but I want to first revisit the question of of Lidl Messi and whether he is the greatest player of all time. I know we said on the podcast last week that you can't really quantify these things and perhaps we should just say that he's the best player of his generation, but are you prepared to sort of go the distance and say Lidl Messi is the greatest player of all time now he's won the World Cup or is it still a question mark for you?
1: I feel like it's much the same as with saying that that's the best World Cup final. I didn't see World Cup finals before 1998, (laughs) so I don't know. And it sort of goes the same with Maradona and Pele. Like I... I never saw them play. Sure, you can watch highlights, you can look at their stats um, and the records are, let's say, questionable when it comes to some of Pele's goals. Um, And the the stats from Maradona against Messi, you know, Messi absolutely wipes the floor with him. Um, I guess you would say so. I feel a little bit sort of recency bias plays into it because mm-hmm. he's the best now. But I think arguably in however many years' time, when you look back at what he's achieved, our generation, you know, when we're parents, and we're saying, oh, you never saw this guy called Messi play. Like, we all sound like the stereotypical older generation, <laughs> but yeah. you'd, really str- you'd struggle on any level to find a reason why he wouldn't be the GOAT. And at that point, when you're struggling to find reasons why he's not... Would say that the baseline is because he is. Yeah. And he is the greatest of all time. And yeah, you, you could you could make the argument that he's completed football.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose to get a truly definitive answer on that, we'd have to get someone on who was like 115 years old, wouldn't they? Wouldn't we? Yeah. Who'd lived through several <laughs> yeah, generations exactly. and seen all these World Cups and is it the best World Cup final ever? No, actually the nineteen thirty six one was way better, I thought. Yeah, yeah. So
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly it'd be impossible there'd be be no way of like actually quantifying it because i actually uh, i'm not trying to offend like older generations of football but i do think football has improved now i think purely from an athleticism and a human level the Mm. game's so much quicker the game's better there's a bigger pool of players and a bigger pool of players leads to more competition and therefore creates um creates better players when there's more competition so i just I think football's getting better and better and better and quicker and more skilled to the point that, yeah, players nowadays, I feel like, would, would absolutely kill it. Like, can you imagine Messi back in the 50s or 60s when the likes of <laughs> Stefano and Pushkats were killing it? Yeah. It'd, it'd be ridiculous. Not saying that they weren't, but, you
0: know. I mean, I saw I saw a clip the other day of Lino, uh, Sorry, Diego Maradona being sort of like kicked around, like, you know, like a compilation of the sort of treatment that he was on the the end of mm. from opposing defenders and people were saying, Oh, you know, Messi would never have shot in that era. I think he probably would have done though, to be honest. I think Messi would have found a way in the same way that Maradona did, in the same way that Pele did. And I think if Maradona and Pele had played today, yeah. they would have been, you know, fantastic footballers as well. It's just like, you know, the gift of football is is kind of cross generational, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Messi has completed football as you say. So let's let's leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just uh, just thinking back about the, the World Cup as a whole, um, what did you think of it? Did you did you love it? Are you sad that it's over? Did Qatar do a good job as host in the end? I mean, I know we, we've spoken a lot about the, the human rights issues in Qatar and a lot of people have spoken about that. And I don't mean to minimise that, but just to kind of put it to one side for a second, did you think they put on a good World Cup when all said and done?
1: Well, without being there, I couldn't give a definitive answer. Um, mm. But from certainly what I've seen, yeah, it sounded like a, Pretty good World Cup. I mean, you can always you can always revert back to, like you said, the the human rights records, and you can completely wipe everything I'm about to say about Qatar being good World Cup from the record you can outweigh it, you can counterbalance it so easily. But if we're talking about a football tournament perspective, yeah, it, it sounded, from what I heard, great. There didn't seem to be too many struggles with tickets. Um Maybe in the first game, I think there was one match um in the first round. There didn't seem too many struggle with drunken fans. There's no alcohol in the stadium. Everyone got mm-hmm. over that fairly quickly. Uh Wasn't too much fighting. It was very well organised. There was enough transport for people. Um, You know, there were plenty of people who were going from game to game on the same day because everything was so close. Given the circumstances, it sounds like, you know, they, they they put on a very good tournament. So, yeah, I think some credit has to go to the organisers. Organising a World Cup is never an easy thing, you know, when you're expecting such a huge influx of people into the city, into the country. And all those fears about hotels and sleeping arrangements. I don't know. If someone wants to tweet me and send me all the shocking stories from the World Cup, fine. Um, But yeah, I certainly didn't see much of it or much wasn't made of it. And, you know, considering how eager much of the world's press were to jump on every single little thing that Qatar did wrong, um, I I didn't see too much of it throughout the tournament. And yeah, the football was great as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny looking back at all the sort of, uh, you know, the photos of the fan villages when they were sort of under construction and um, the places that people were staying in those kind of weird tents and things. Everyone was going, oh, it's going to be a disaster, this World Cup. It's going to be the fire festival of World Cups and all that kind of thing. In the end it seemed like it went off without pretty much a hitch, like you said, like people who went there enjoyed yeah. it. And at the end of the day, the football shone through, doesn't it? You know, you can you can host a World Cup in, in any kind of circumstances, and but I think football always wins. And that, that's the case with this World Cup again. I think we'll, we'll remember this World yeah. Cup because of the football, and because of the final and because of Lionel Messi and all that kind of thing. And um, I suppose that's a bit of a win for Qatar as well in that they uh you know, a lot a lot of the bad things about this World Cup perhaps perhaps won't be remembered so so much in times to come. And I think, yeah, you know that that part of the world um, deserves the the chance to host a World Cup, uh, whether people think that they got the opportunity legitimately or not. And um, you know, you saw how accessible it was for the likes of Morocco. You know, they took over those stadiums and made made those stadiums like home grounds for them, and, and really had a great time there as well. But you know, it shouldn't have come at the cost of so much human suffering, and, and we kind of football, FIFA, everybody, the world has to learn from this, I think, and you know, make sure that there are procedures yeah. put in place that this can't be allowed to happen again. Um, even though it was, it was a, world, a good World Cup, as, as we say. Um, going back to the final now, and uh, we touched on it a little bit, a little bit there. Um, h- how sort of poor France were? What why they why they kind of didn't show up the way they. They sort of played in a, in a weird way. Was that a, was that a surprise, a big surprise to you on the day or had you, had you kind of sense that was coming given that they hadn't been particularly brilliant in the two games leading up to it either?
1: Yeah, they hadn't been fantastic and I feel like that was France's thing, right? Like just, they're mm. not great but they pick their moments and that's literally what happened in the final. Like, we, it was exactly the same as in the England game. France's moments won them that match. They weren't the best for the majority but their moments won it and it was kind of the same thing. Like, they were worse than I thought for sure. Um, it all looked a little bit rushed. Mm-hmm. It looked a little bit, they needed a bit more composure, I think. And, and like obviously going two goals down kind of exacerbates the situation. Um, even Deschamps look a bit panicked, you know, making the substitutes yeah. at 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> And yeah, they they just obviously were relying on that moment of magic from the likes of uh, likes of Mbappe and he delivered, but I guess there's only so far that that can take you, right? And, you know, it took them to the final, uh, it took them to extra time and penalties in the final, but eventually <laughs> yeah. it was going to come unstuck somehow, because if that, like we've seen with Argentina, right, up until this tournament, if that's going to be the career that Mbappe is going to have at international level, where it's... France get together. hey Mbappe do something, which is much like what Argentina did to Messi, especially 2010, 2014, 2018. Without him, they're lost. And France aren't going to be so successful. Um, mm. Not saying they have completely done that, but it looks like they were doing it very much so in the final. And they just there was just a whole lot of a whole lot of nothing. They were giving the ball away. Yeah. It was all very rushed. It was odd.
0: Yeah, sort of that kind of experience. I mean, obviously they won the World Cup four years ago. They've got lots of quality players who are used to playing in these high-pressure big games and that level of composure that I kind of expected from them just wasn't there. They looked like they froze, didn't they, really? But I do do wonder, actually, imagine for a second that France had won on penalties and we're sitting here talking about the final today and analysing the World Cup and analysing the final. What do you think our analysis would have been? Would we have said that France were lucky to get back into the game in the way they did? Would we have said that Argentina kind of bottled it, threw, threw it away, or what do you reckon?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I, I would say, pulling out my my, uh, my box of football cliches, that <laughs> we would probably say something like France had the the know how and the experience to stay in the game and then strike at their moment when you know struck with the on top. That's probably what we would have said to something like yeah. that, that they didn't panic when they went 2-0 down. You know, they stuck to their game plan or whatever, and they chose their moment to go for it and got two goals. Yeah, we probably would have said something like that. Um, yeah. Argentina, they kind of did bottle it, though. In a way. I, I hate that term, by the way. I absolutely hate the phrase bottle it, uh, probably because I've heard it too much from Tottenham. <laughs> But they did, you know, with 10 minutes to go and you were 2-0 up and then you score again, you know, in another penalty in 100 and whatever it was, 18th, 19th minute. Like, they did really kind of shit their pants with it, but still managed to find the mental strength, which says a lot about them, to go and win it. Or maybe they just, they were confident it was written in the stars. I don't know, with with players like Messi on a team, it must give you such confidence to always just look around and be like, oh, there he is. we got yeah. the best player in the world on our side. Like, it's a constant source of energy, I mm. think. Yeah, it reminded me very much.
0: Um, it, it was a mini capitulation, of course, from Argentina, but it was kind of a capitulation in the same way that Cities was against Real Madrid in the Champions League last year. I was getting a bit of post-traumatic stress. It was it was quite triggering for me, this game, actually, at the weekend, because it sort of reminded me very much of that game in the way that the game just sort of turned on a sixpence. And I don't think Argentina have done an awful lot wrong. Obviously, they gave the penalty away. Then that kind of wonder goal comes from nowhere, yeah. and it's like wow, it's 2-0, it's 2-2 all of a sudden. Like, where, where's this come from? It it looked so much like it was just going to be, if anything, Argentina were going to score a third goal and just wrap it up nicely, and it would have been, you know, one of the easiest, um, most, well, perhaps one of the dullest finals in in, uh, in history. So I, I suppose mm. uh, it's good that France did get those two goals back and, and made it so dramatic in the end. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a very strange game, I thought, rather than a, uh, there were yeah. lots of things that happened that I just did not expect to happen.
1: Yeah, it was very odd. That second goal from Mbappe, though, that lifted me off my seat. I say <laughs> that was pff, stunning, stunning. Yeah. What's funny is when it came to, him, I thought, I thought, flick it on to the left back. I think Tio Hernandez was waiting. I was like, flick it on. He's gone back inside to Collabuarni. I was like, yeah, no, what are you doing? Wrong decision. Two seconds later, shut me up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a goal. <laughs> I spoke to um, I spoke to Lewis about it the other day. Our our um, newsroom extraordinaire. And uh, he was like, no, nah, you know what? Emmy Martinus has got to save that for me. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's well harsh. I think it was a great goal. He was like, yeah, he gets down, gets hand to it. He's got to save it for me. I was like, oh, your goalkeeping standards are high. Yeah, it's
0: funny because I've watched that goal from every angle and not once have I thought about what the goalkeeper was doing there, really. It just hasn't even entered my head. I'd, <laughs> I'd have to go back and watch it again and go, oh, maybe he's loses his right, actually. Just didn't even enter my head at
1: all. <laughs> yeah, no, I just... I was too busy, sort of like marveling at the fact that Mbappe did a over-the-top one-two and first-time mad volley that I just thought, ah, give that over. Yeah, but exactly. Exactly. I'm sure Emmy Martinez yeah. had the last laugh. <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. fact, I've seen the videos. Emmy Martinez definitely had the last laugh. He's
0: definitely did. Yeah, yeah. He's been loving it, loving it. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a surprise in the Argentina starting lineup with uh, Angel Di Maria being named on the left. Uh, I think he only made ele- he'd only played eleven minutes of knockout football. Um, before the final at this World Cup. Um, He started, he won the penalty for the first goal, scored the second goal. That was a a beautifully crafted goal from Argentina. How key do you think that decision was from Lionel Scaloni to start Di Maria in the final?
1: I think he was gambling on the French wingers, basically not um, tracking back. I think it's very easy when you see the likes of Mbappe and Dembele on either side for France... Um, like we spoke about a million times through England, how are we going to deal with him, Mbappe? How are we going to deal mm. with him? Let's put another centre back. Uh, sorry, a central midfielder to help Carl Walker. No, no, no. Let's go back five and put Trippier in front of Carl Walker. There's so much of that. that Scaloni was actually like, you know what? I know they're really good, but on the flip side, if we get Di Maria in a one-on-one situation, or which, by the way, Di Maria was brilliant at one-on-one. I think take on the defender because he's a fantastic player. Or even better if. One of them decides to come back and help. They're not very good at defence, Dembele and Mbappe, (laughs) um, as we saw with Desmond Dembele, give away the penalty. So I think Scaloni has definitely got to be um, praised for making that decision. And a a trap that I'm sure plenty of people uh, who come up against France and PSG will fall into, which is the absolute panic and nightmares of how do we stop Mbappe without actually thinking, hold on, how do we do our thing and leave our mark on the match? And Scaloni went for it. You know, he he went back five against the Netherlands, obviously, to try and match up with their style. But he knew that Di Maria could do a bit of damage in the one-on-one situation. And yeah, he he did it. And I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Like you said, considering he'd only played 11 minutes of knockout football, might have been a bit of a risk, but I, he was yeah. fantastic, Di Maria. He was. So it was
0: and it, it kind of unraveled for Argentina quite a bit after he we went off, I thought. They didn't look quite the same team. They looked a little mm-hmm. bit disjointed after that. I think he was he was tying everything together. And I I actually, when I I was watching the first sort of 10, 15 minutes of the game, there was a couple of moments right at the start where Messi had two chances to kind of play someone in or have a good shot and he kind of wasted both chances and I was like, wow, I don't think he looks fit here. I could see him coming off, you know, we talked about him, he was holding his hamstring against Croatia. I was like, oh my God, is this going to be the, the narrative of this final that Messi comes off? So, He's found some reserves of strength and was able to keep going right for the the entire 120 minutes in the end. Um, Yeah, Di Maria was brought down by Usman Dembele for that penalty for the first goal. Did you have any complaints about that decision at all? I I thought it was a little bit soft. Probably was a penalty, but I kind of could have understood if the referee hadn't given it.
1: I think if the referee doesn't give it in time, they go to VAR and they see contact and they give Mm. it. So I think that's kind of it. Like, it is very soft, but I guess the contact's there. So, yeah. you know, letter of the law, or whatever they call it these days, um, yeah. would dictate that it was a penalty. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't have too many complaints about it, to be honest. It's just, yeah. is it, yeah, exactly the same with, is it Colomawani who won the first French penalty? Um, yeah. Like, I think they were both very, very soft. So, yeah, swings around, perhaps I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the uh, the referee's performance overall? Because I read uh, Richard Keyes' blog on Monday, and he quoted Mike Dean, our old friend Mike Dean, as saying that the referee's performance was the oh, wow. best ever performance at a World Cup final. I mean, that might be a bit of recency bias. I don't really can't really recall too many other refereeing performances from World Cup finals, but um, I think he did pretty well. The ref here.
1: Yeah, he did pretty. Everyone was talking about that decision with Marcus Turan, where he got the dive correct. Mm. Um. And did it give him the penalty? Yeah, I thought he was he was really good. Um, I can't... The, the best compliment you could pay, again, pulling into the box of football cliches, is that I can't remember him doing too much apart from that big decision. Mm. Which I guess is a good thing. Like I mentioned before, we didn't talk about VAR ruining anything. We didn't talk about the ref's poor decision-making or making it about him, like the, uh, the Argentinian-Netherlands ref. <laughs> um, was it the other? Yeah, I think it was him. So... Yeah, I think I think he did a really really good job. He he really uh he he let the game go and I think it, it sounds a bit kind of obvious but I think he understood that the occasion mm. you know this was going to be a huge affair there's some ridiculously talented players on the pitch and things happen at very high speed um, and I think he really kept a lid on it because yeah nothing seemed to ever really get out of hand.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah, and it was a uh... Well, part of the reason Dembele was taken off in the first half was giving away that, that first penalty. Uh, Giroud getting getting hooked as well after 40 yeah. minutes. Uh, it's pretty rare that you see a double sub after 40 minutes. It's pretty rare you see anyone subbed off in the first half of a game, but a double sub in the in a World Cup final. Was that uh, a masterstroke from Deschamps or a bit of a panic move for you?
1: I don't know, because it didn't really change much. But So I was watching mm. with a few mates and my mate said... Uh, oh, it looks like a genius move now, doesn't it? Two subs. And I was like, yes and no, because it, it, technically it had the desired effect. I thought moani was really good. But, it had the desired effect about 45 minutes after the was <laughs> yeah. made. So I, I'm not quite sure that's like a bit fair to be like, oh, here is, you know, it, it's, it's a complete cause and effect. Like You've bought in the subs, they've immediately done something better. I just think they worked their way into the game a little bit more, France. I, they, they continue to be pretty poor for the majority of the game, even after the subs have been made. I don't know what the use was of making it five minutes before half-time. I don't know. Maybe, maybe is the in an ideal world. If you're two nil down, do you nick a goal before half time and set yourself up for a second half? Um, but I don't know what the big kind of rush was that it couldn't have waited another five minutes because it wasn't a defensive substitution. It wasn't like oh my god, we can't concede a third here. I'm throwing on another defender. Yeah. It was more with a view to what they were going to do attacking wise. It was two attackers for two attackers. So I don't know why it couldn't have just waited because that. Yeah. As, as well as losing, obviously, would really, really sour the experience. You know, that's Olivier Giroud's last appearance at a World Cup. Mm. Um, and, you know, he's gone out in the 40th minute after what's been a fantastic tournament from him. So, he'd be a little bit gutted because I think, especially with strikers, they always back themselves to get grab a goal and change a game, right? Yeah. Like, I know Mbappe scored, but Dembele or Giroud could have been thinking, ah, you know, that could have been me or I, I could have done something. So, yeah, it's a, I don't know, it was a bit harsh and I don't think it was directly caused the game to go too all. Like that was Mbappe way later, completely unrelated.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought it was very harsh on Giroud as well. I think it was probably Deschamps trying to sort of shake his team up a little bit and sort of show them that they need to change things, that they can't keep drifting like this. Mm. And I read it today, it was in La Keep today, that uh, he sort of tore into them at half-time and said to the players, you're not playing like this, this is a World Cup final, Argentina have turned up and you haven't, that kind of thing which again, you know, you might say that was uh, what turned it all around for them. You might also say that it wasn't until they got a penalty in the 80th minute that anything really looked like changing for France that they looked like getting back into the game at all. So yeah. I don't know how much Deschamps' words or his changes really made to France. I think it was just one uh, well, of those kind of weird twists of fates that football sometimes throws up once when they found themselves back into the game almost against the runner player or without even having to do an awful lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of like Kylian debappe was that I'm going to do something here because no one else is. Again, it wasn't. It wasn't quite like he suddenly in the 80th minute, right? 35 minutes after half time, went. Yeah, maybe Deschamps is right. Actually, like if 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 Deschamps' words had such a crazy effect, you would have seen something vastly different in the opening yeah. half an hour of the second half. But you didn't. You didn't. You know, you got a mistake and a penalty, and they rode the wave well and you know grabbed an equalizer. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm just boiling football down to bizarre coincidences and instances <laughs> of genius, but. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Like I feel like that's what it was from Mbappe.
0: So, sometimes it is. Yeah. yeah, football is more chaotic than people think. Sometimes that's that. that it boils down to that an awful lot. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of Mbappe, what did you make of his performance overall? Because obviously he got the hat trick. And I'm doing inverted commas there for people who uh, mm. who aren't watching on the stream because I, I do kind of think that maybe penalties shouldn't count towards a hat trick in the way that uh, goals from open play should. And I didn't think Mbappe did a great deal, really. Uh, you know, there was some talk about he he wasn't a man of the match, but there was some talk about him being a contender for man of the match. And I was like, mm. I, he didn't do an awful lot for me apart from apart from scoring three times.
1: Well, that's the the gift and the curse of being a striker. Like. <laughs> If you have a brilliant game but don't score, everyone's on your back. And if you have a crap game but score a hat-trick, everyone loves you. So, yeah, I guess he didn't do too much. Um, but then he also bagged a hat-trick. So, yeah, there's not really kind of – there's not an argument against it because he did more than any other French player did, more than any other French striker did. So, yeah, I thought he was actually – he was very good because he was the difference maker where he needed to be. Like, you know, France not turning up, not giving him the ball, being poor defensively. Mm-hmm. None of that's really on Mbappe Like – You know, he created the chances for himself in some cases and he buried them when they came around. So I thought he had actually a pretty good game. It's just, it's weird, isn't it? If it was the other way around, if he'd scored two goals 10 minutes in rather than 10 minutes from the end, that would carry him through the rest of the game. And if he did absolutely diddly squat until the (laughs) final whistle, you'd say, ah, well, he scored two goals in the 10th, 11th minute. But when it's reversed and he does nothing until he scores... Everyone's like, yeah, but he was crap until he scored. So, yeah, give down a curse, I think, of being a striker. But look, he yeah. bagged three goals. He did all he could. So, I, I'm gonna say, good game, Killian. I think he had a yeah. good
0: match. Should it be classed as a hat trick if two of them were penalties? Though, for you, was it, is he the next Jeff Hurst or is uh,
1: yeah, yes, <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, penalties are part of the game. I, I have this conversation all the time with people. <laughs> if penalties were so easy, they'd always be scored. If they weren't such a big deal, people wouldn't practice them. Mm. There is. Imagine having a Thierry Henry was always my example. Thierry Henry was always my example. You don't need a, a striker to score your goals, a midfielder to take your free kicks, and I don't know a central midfielder to take your penalties. What, it, it's so much easier having it all in one. Yeah. Like how 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 much more helpful is that to a team when you're <laughs> like, oh my god, we've got this player, Mbappe who's quick and can finish, and he can take pens. Oh, good, brilliant. Yeah. Like, honestly, if you can add that skill, if you can add that bow to your arrow as a, as a football player, not even a striker, as a player, good on you. Good on you. you just, you know, you've got even more skills and abilities. And if penalties don't count, then just take them out of the game if they're not a part of the game. But they are, so they do count. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm strongly in favor of penalties, counting of penalties being important and not being downplayed like, yeah, but pens. Yeah, but pens. It's like, well, no back pens because they're obviously not that easy to score, are they?
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That that seems like it's a subject that's very close to your heart. So I'm not going to uh, I'm
1: not going to disagree with you there. I'll just will well, no, well, just leave it, that one. <laughs> I, I always just thought it was so cool. Like yeah. it's so good to have a good like. That's how I feel at Tottenham. I know Kane missed obviously. There's a penalty for England as a Spurs fan. Ah, oh, well, we get a penalty, knowing that 99 percent of the time Kane absolutely buries it. It's a great feeling. Imagine if it wasn't. Imagine if you had absolutely pony penalty takers and everything was a 50-50. It was like Man City a few years ago where you couldn't stop missing penalties. Yeah. <laughs> it was like no, no, no few years up about it that's happening this season. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. City just can't bag penalties. So imagine yeah. like it feels quite nice when you know that like I said the majority of the time Kane sticks them away and it's a very it's a very handy skill to have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that penalty to to equalise in injury time, uh, extra time. Sorry, was to be fair, one of the most high pressure penalties that you're ever likely to see, and Mbappe took it very coolly and calmly, didn't he? For for a young guy, so yeah, fair fair play to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when it actually went to a penalty shootout, who did you fancy to win it at that point? Because I I was a bit surprised that Argentina kind of found another gear in in extra time because the way the momentum of the game was going, I thought, wow, France are going to go and win this now. And it was pretty gutted for Argentina at the time. And then they sort of found another gear in extra time. They got back in front. Then they conceded that equaliser again and I thought oh my god Argentina and not- it's going to be way too emotional for them this penalty shootout surely
1: weirdly enough I thought that throughout the 90 minutes and extra time I was like oh my god France are just you know got the wind in their sails even when even when Argentina scored the third you I had the feeling it wasn't quite over like France were just it was one of those things where when they've been through the emotions of coming back into it it drains Argentina. But then as soon as we got to penalties, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm looking back with a bit of hindsight, but it seems like the story was written for Messi and mm. there was a bit of an inevitability about it. Um, but I remember looking through the two uh, lineups, the two pen- penalty lineups, thinking beyond Messi and Mbappe, I'm not sure who I'd pick for either side. There wasn't, for me, there wasn't standout penalty takers who I was like, right, well, They've plotted this carefully. They've got a guaranteed goal here, a guaranteed goal there. Like, I expected the first two to score, Messi and Mbappe, and that was it. It was it was anyone's game, really. And I think yeah. maybe, I don't know, like I said, maybe Argentina had that feeling of we're going to do it for Messi. Yeah. And it's written in the stars, and they were kind of confident with it.
0: Yeah. All the fans behind that goal were Argentina fans as well, which was... Uh... A little bit harsh on France, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, what what can, you, what can you do? And um, <laughs> they both did the right thing, I thought, in putting their best penalty takers first in the lineup. I hate it when teams save them for later down the line. Uh, I think Ronaldo didn't he wait later in, uh, against when they when Portugal he got did. knocked out earlier in the tournament. He um, well, it wasn't a penalty shootout. Was it when they got knocked he out? But there was a, there was a shootout, four, wasn't there? Yeah, and it was uh, yeah. I, I hate it when teams do that. You want to get your you know, the objective is to score more goals in the other team. So get your goals as early as you can and relieve the pressure on yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's less pressure on the last guys because the pressure on them is going to be 50-50 anyway because they're not a very good penalty taker on number four or five. So you might as well reduce the pressure on the guys that you know are going to score and basically have absolute certainties. And then, you know, see, like, like the guy who scored the winner, Montiel, like that wasn't, yeah. you wouldn't put him at number four and be like, this guy bags penalties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick him at number four. <laughs> it was like, well, ah, we'll see what happens when we get there.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it was him who gave the penalty away. Uh, you know, somewhat accidentally for the the third goal. That was a a nice little moment of redemption for Montiel, I guess, to step up and score the winning penalty. And it almost seemed like his celebration was a bit kind of muted at first. I was like, do you know what you've just done? And then he was, and then he obviously took a shirt off and was like crying his eyes out. I was like, okay, yeah, you do know what you've just done. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs>
1: I thought the exact same thing. Like, I was thinking, you, you whip your shirt off, you go mad, jump in the crowd, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But because there was such emphasis on Messi, it was quite funny that when you watch the replays, everyone ran forward and then turned back around and ran back to Messi. And I feel like that will be one of those funny, um, that will be like one of those quiz questions in, a, in about 20 years' time. Be like, Lionel Messi won the 2020 World Cup with Argentina, but who scored the winning penalty? <laughs> and he'll be one of those names that kind of... Drifts off into footballing eternity because everyone just remembers Messi winning that tournament, you know, and he's kind of, I guess, lost in the ether. It's like when, uh, when, when, when England lost to Portugal and Beckham missed that penalty. It wasn't Beckham's penalty that missed it. It was, D- it was Darius Vassell. Darius. That's self. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> correct yeah it was Vassell who missed Beckham missed the first one but everyone remembers yeah. it as the Beckham penalty so yeah. there's probably other examples down you know down the years as well like who scored the other goal that wasn't Jeff Hurst in 1966
0: oh that is a good question um okay it's on the tip of my tongue I can't remember go on
1: I, I believe it's Martin Peters
0: that's right correct yeah Martin Peters yeah yeah I was I was thinking yeah, of Nobby Styles I, I to be honest so Lakers I would have been wrong but yeah <laughs>
1: Well, oh, Tommy stars was there, but I think it was Martin yeah. Peters. But yeah, you know what I mean. You're just another name. Yeah. Obviously, that's not the same because Jeff Hurst did score the winning goal. But Montiel will be like, guys, I was, you know, I played a pretty big role too. Was yeah, where's my love. Where's my <laughs> Instagram national- post with 60 million yeah. likes or whatever? Exactly.
0: Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like I said earlier, it was a, a historic yeah. moment to see Messi lifting the uh, the trophy. Sergio Aguero, uh, what, what he was doing there, we don't know. But I loved seeing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> great yeah him carrying Messi around on his shoulders afterwards what did you make yeah. of the uh the Emir of Qatar draping Messi in uh what I believe is called a bisht to lift the trophy that kind of Bicht, gown
1: yeah. I'm actually split on it to be honest with you I think I like the idea of them making it a little bit unique right and this is you know a, a traditional gown that's worn at any sort of ceremony when you graduate when you get married you know just that and the other um, it's quite a normal thing. I mean, we wear them in England, right? When you graduate, you wear a sort of big cloak, a big mm. gown. Um, I think there's an element of tradition around it that it hasn't been done before. Um, you know, Lederhosen weren't given to Fabio Cannavaro in <laughs> 2006 in Germany. Um, you know, we didn't the you know, give anything else that's sort of traditional or any other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, like we said before, though, and I mentioned it at the podcast a few weeks ago, they desperately wanted Messi to win... To have that photo, right, to 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 forever be linked to the goat winning his World Cup, and whenever you look at those photos of Messi lifting the trophy with his Argentina team, he has it on, and Qatar will remain part of the conversation forever. Whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. But from the reason I didn't like it was because I really think that there's a lot to be said about being able to see your nation's badge. You know, mm-hmm. the nation have won it. This isn't about the hosts. This is about Argentina. Winning the World Cup and the fact that Messi's badge, the Argentina badge, isn't visible on Messi, I think is a little bit sad for Argentina, I guess. You know, this is, you know, a very proud moment for them. Their football team's won a tournament and, you know, they're obviously very proud and you can't see the badge. You can on mm-hmm. everyone else, but you can't on the main guy. I think that's a little bit sad. But I, I to be honest, sick and tired of this sort of anti Arabic, anti, you know, mm-hmm. Middle East rhetoric. Everyone seems to be so offended by because they just don't understand that that's a thing. What did you think?
0: Yeah, well, I agree with you. I think it's a culture that we don't understand in many ways and that, you know, has been has been disrespected in quite a lot of ways. And, you know, some of, a lot of the criticism is, is fair as well. But I, I also read that the the Bisht, it's like a, a very traditional robe that they used to put on like Arabian warriors when they would return home from war as like a, a mark of respect and that kind of thing, and that, that's what it was all about. It wasn't just about mm. Qatar trying to sort of like, you know, put themselves front and centre of the most iconic moment of the World Cup. It was uh, it was like a, a real Mark of respect for Messi, for what what he achieved. And I thought, yeah, it it was fair enough. So, yeah. Mm. Gianni Infantino being front and centre of the the World Cup trophy was another uh, thing that I found uh,
1: a lot less palatable, to be honest. That's what I think I took at first off before I thought about it. I was like, ah, this feels like it's him doing it. That's yeah. why I kind of took offence at the beginning. I was like, "Oh, this is an Infantino thing and a Qatari thing to you know, make sure they're front and center." And I guess we will be talking about it whenever you see that photo in future. You know, people ask, "Well, what was that?" But yeah, I, I feel like there was a big sort of yeah anti anti Arabic rhetoric that was going on. And you know, mm. if you don't understand it, fair enough. But for people to be like, you know, oh, was disgusting to make him do this, it's like, well, not really. I people were comparing it with Pele wearing a sombrero. And I am like, yeah. pretty sure someone just threw him a sombrero and he put it on his head it's not quite the same thing yeah. it's not quite the same because there's an official there's an official picture right the official picture is the the, the holding the trophy um but yeah I, I mean look I, I there are many things like I mentioned before there's many I could say anything nice about the World Cup about Qatar, and you could immediately swat it away by saying, Yeah, but human rights. And, you know, yeah. there is a, a fully valid story behind that. But I, I think there's some interesting cultural things that people could have learned, could have opened their eyes to, could have tried to at least understand mm. before just painting absolutely everything they do with, Yeah, but this, yeah, but that, which, you know, was a little bit sad because it was an opportunity for people to learn and take something away from it, um, as well as the Qataris also learning and taking something away from it, mm. too. You know, it works both ways.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's finish before we, uh, we move on from the final let's finish with a question from David Aslan on the emails remember if you want to get in touch with the podcast the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com and David says hot take Emilio Martinez has been the difference for Argentina over the last three years probably more than anyone else see even before the 2014 World Cup the quality of Argentina's attack has never been in question but time after time they kept crashing out despite the brilliance of Messi I mean their number one goalkeeper was largely Romero then followed by the disaster that was Armani they even started Willy Caballero. At some point, now they are at a point where they can bang them in, and have someone who is not only keeps them out. Uh, remember the Martinez worldly save in the 119th minute of the World Cup final. I certainly do remember that; it was fantastic. Uh, but he also has won them uh, three or four penalty shootouts in different competitions. What do you guys think? What do you reckon, Matt? Is uh, is Emmy Martinez the one that won it?
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. I think, yeah, when you look at the penalty shootouts, you look at the saves. Yes, because he was, you know, brilliant in those moments, like we talked about earlier. These moments and coincidences that happen in football, and you know, this would we be saying the same thing if Colomuani blasted it over? So he missed the chance. Argentina still win the World Cup, but Martinez doesn't make the save, you know, he just you know, he spanked it wide or something. Um, in some ways, yes, in other ways, no. Argentina conceded a lot of goals, you know. I I don't know the maths, but I highly doubt um, <laughs> that a team conceded that many goals on the way to a final before. Um, I am trying to remember the rest of their group stage. Two against Saudi Arabia, two against the Netherlands, uh, one against Australia is five, three against France is eight. Uh, who else do they have in their group? Argentina. Poland, they conceded one against, which is nine. Um I'm trying to remember if the other one was in their group. Sorry, my mother's escaping. Anyway, <laughs> they conceded a lot of goals on the way on, on the way on the way to a World Cup. So yeah. you could also argue that maybe they've been as poor as they have. Um, goalkeeper wise but like we said it came down to these moments where Martinez you know won the mind games won the penalty shootouts and made a great save that we're praising him I think he's better let's put it that way I think he's a better option than Romero, Armani and Caballero yeah. but I wouldn't say it's a, a complete correlation let's say probably not yeah it's quite
0: strange because he's not not been in great form for Aston Villa this season has he Martinez and now after this World Cup there's yeah. I've seen some talk of Bayern Munich move for him and then, uh, I wonder whether he uh a good World Cup is, you know, it's well them that sort of enhanced his reputation a little bit unfairly. But uh, I've always kind of rated him as a goalkeeper. I thought he was, you know, deserved more than what the chances he was getting when he was playing for Arsenal, and uh, you know, obviously won the FA Cup with them, and then then got his move to Aston Villa, and has been pretty consistent aside from the seasons we say. So, and I like his vibe very much. You know, he's yeah. uh, the the man don't give a fuck, does he? Basically, so yeah, I like I like that in a player, and uh, he's and, you got know, that enjoyed kind sort of
1: mad, yeah. Mad goalie vibe, right? Oliver Kahn yeah. would appreciate that. A buying, I
0: think. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Sure. Very much so. Sure. Let's look back at the the World Cup uh, as a whole now. Uh, just a few reflections on that. My, my first question is: Do you think Argentina were worthy winners? You know, we we looked at the likes of Brazil over the course of the tournament. We looked at France as potential uh, winners. You know, Argentina very very narrowly winning it at the end. Uh, they were tipped by by some people as their favourites to begin with. I was never truly on board. With that, I always thought that Argentina were gonna come unstuck at some point. Yeah. I thought maybe the defence would let them down. In the end, were they the best team at the World Cup for you?
1: Yes. I, I agree with everything you said, and I think they weren't I, I had them as semi-finalists. I had Brazil as my favorites. Um but yeah, over the course of the competition, especially considering they lost the first game, they really worked their way back into it. They produced some brilliant football, some exciting games. Um and the only competitor you'd have to that was France, and France really didn't play well at all in the knockouts. So yeah, Argentina were worthy winners.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, and who is your player of the tournament? I mean, I'm I'm going to go for Lionel Messi personally. Um, you know, I think he's he's got the iconic moment. He's he's delivered in every. He, did, he scored in every game, did he? Or every knockout game at least? He became the first player ever to do so. Every knockout. Um, yeah. yeah. Round of 16 quarters, semifinals and final. Scored some goals that I don't think anyone else in the tournament could have scored. You know, the one against Mexico, the one against Australia. Um, mm. You know, I think he was just absurdly good at times and kind of dragged Argentina through it. Anyone else that you would throw into the mix?
1: I mean, without sounding very obvious, Mbappe was also great, <laughs> Yeah, uh, scoring that many goals. Uh, from, the, from the rest, I thought... Um, I thought Fernandez was very good. Who won the Young Player of the Tournament? Yeah. Um, That that silver ball. Uh, I thought Sofian Amrabat was brilliant for Morocco. Really was was such a, a thorn in so many people's side. Like really dictated the midfield way more than I thought he was capable of. Um, so I thought he was brilliant. And yeah, you'd, you'd have to give it to Messi, right? Let's not forget he's doing all this at thirty-five years old as well. Yeah. Like he's running the World Cup at thirty-five. When Zinedine Zidane had that. Um, that run with France to the final in two thousand six. You remember the quarterfinals against Brazil when he yeah. like, absolutely schooled them. Um, he was thirty four. Yeah, he was one year younger. Messi's you know, <laughs> Messi's thirty five, thirty five and a half, or whenever his birthday is. So yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. So he's definitely the best player.
0: Yeah, bit of a shame for Antoine Griezmann. I thought that his uh, he didn't really show up in the final. Didn't do an awful lot. Having had a, having had a really good tournament, I think he. Uh, um, yeah, let himself down a little bit in the finals, as a lot of a lot of French players probably did on on the night. To be fair, and uh, yeah, Guardiola is the player that's emerged with the biggest reputation from this tournament, True. hasn't it? A lot of talk about him, a lot of hype about him now. So he was very good too. Um, yeah, Julian Alvarez, you might throw in there as well. Was was very good. Uh, what was your what was your favourite goal of the tournament? Mine was uh, mine was Mbappe's against Poland when he nearly took uh, Chesney's head off with that shot that he just lashed into the top corner. I love a goal like that.
1: Yeah, that, that was a great goal. I actually think Mbappe's final goal was was the, the second. Was the, oh yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just it's just it's just a mo- it's just outrageous. You shouldn't be doing that. Like <laughs> to do a one-two with your header and the ball over the top, and to not even take a touch and dribble it towards the goal, but just to bang it first time in nine minutes to go in a World Cup final. The technique, everything is just yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Such an insane goal. So, yeah, I was, I was a big fan of that goal. Um, were there any others that I thought were brilliant? There was a really nice... Uh, I, think, I remember England scoring quite a good goal. Yeah, there, there are a couple of the goals against Senegal, that were really good team goals. Mm. I really enjoyed. Uh, Jordan Henderson's was good. Uh, but again, that's more of like a team player. It's probably not a stunning goal. Um, so, yeah, that one was really good. And who else had another good goal? Oh yeah the the guy I'm so sorry I forgot his name the guy who scored the winner against Argentina the Saudi Arabian guy when he sort of cut inside oh, and yeah, yeah. smashed it into the far corner in the very first game he sort of I remember I didn't watch it and I remember hearing they one, won one, 2-1 and I watched the highlights and I was like no that's not surely that's not the winning goal is it and he's Cut inside, fired it top <laughs> corner. That was a mad goal. So yeah, fair play to him. He'll have that to her. a goal against the champions. He'll be dining off that forever. It was Salam Aldo,
0: Aldousari. Shout out to him. Yeah.
1: That's and uh, shout out one. to to Vincent yeah, bit, Abubakar
0: as well for his goal against uh, Serbia, wasn't it? The, uh, the one where he scooped it over the goalkeeper. I'm still convinced he only did that because he thought he was offside, to be honest. But uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was like, it was kind of like in the playground. You're pissing around, and he's like, "Oh, I just love you for a yeah. joke. I'm offside anyway." <laughs> God, that's so cool. If only everyone played with that sort of uh, freedom of thinking, you're offside all the time.
0: Yeah. And what was your favourite thing or moment about the whole World Cup? Would you say
1: my favourite thing was the Dutch equaliser against Argentina? That free kick, <laughs> the short free kick. I just, it was mad. It was genius. It was. So Dutch. It was just brilliant. <laughs> like the balls to not shoot in the 100th minute, the balls to not shoot from the edge of the box and go, no, we're going for some weird left of field pass to get us even closer than we already are. And you're already only about 20 yards out was just brilliant. And the fact that went in, it was just so cool. So yeah, I'm a massive yeah. fan of that, that big horse nope. second goal.
0: That Was probably the loudest celebration that I did during the whole tournament. It just kind of like emitted a noise from me that just came from I don't know where the, the pit of my stomach or something. I was just like, Oh my god, yeah. 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 Um, uh, I also loved the yeah, um, it was that mad. night, that night at the end of the group stages where it was uh, it was Japan versus Spain and Germany versus Costa Rica. Obviously, Germany ended up getting knocked out, but it, there was a moment for about 10 minutes or so where it looked like it was Costa Rica and Japan going through. And I just loved all those kind of hijinks at the end of the group stage. It was um, it was really good fun yeah. seeing, seeing all That's that fine. stuff play out. There was a few other moments like that. And what was your biggest di- disappointment of the whole World Cup? I'll tell you what mine was. Mine was Brazil, actually. I, I was really expecting better from Brazil. And the way that they they went out in the end was was disappointing to me. I was expecting them to go all the way to the final and, you know, at least have a, that semi-final with Argentina that would have been would have been really good, but uh, of course they got themselves knocked out by Croatia.
1: Yeah, I would say Brazil underperforming is bad for them. It's maybe not my biggest disappointment, um, but oddly enough, I was kind of disappointed with some of the football towards the end. I thought Portugal weren't great apart from the six-one. I thought Croatia. I don't know how they made it that far. I didn't think they made it at all. <laughs> Yeah. France weren't fantastic, made it through Morocco's football. The story was exciting, but they weren't particularly that entertaining to watch. Um, I didn't think Spain were overly interesting to watch either. Like, as we, yeah, Brazil, no one was really like, you know, you know, the, there's that team where everyone tunes in to watch them because you just think, Oh my God, they're blowing mm. people away. It's brilliant. Yeah, no one was really amazing. Like, Germany were awful to watch. Oh, Oh my god, dreadful! Um, yeah, a lot of big teams really failed to inspire. Uh, in, England at times were a bit poor. I thought they were actually good on the whole. You know, unlucky to get outdone by France. But yeah, like there weren't there weren't so many brilliant teams and brilliant performances, especially in the knockouts. I can think of a handful. Uh, yeah, as I say, Portugal six one, Brazil's four one against South Korea. The first half, especially. But yeah, no one was really kind of amazing to watch. The drama yeah. came from everything being close, I guess, which is also quite nice. But yeah, it
0: was brilliant. Yeah, I I thought the standard across the World Cup wasn't particularly brilliant or in comparison Mm -hmm. to, you know, you watch the Champions League, which I think is the highest level of football you can find anywhere in the world, isn't it? And it's not quite the same, you know, the Champions League knockout stages, uh, whereas you you look at the World Cup and it it was a little bit disappointing in some way, but, you know, that's uh, that's just the way that football is now with all the money that's been pumped into the club game and, the fact that coaches at international level aren't quite as high a standard and all that kind of thing. So whatever. Anyway, Matt, enough of that World Cup nonsense. Uh, Let's talk about the return of domestic football because it is coming up, uh, well, tonight, in fact. The Carabao Cup returns tonight. We've got some some more Carabao Cup uh, over the the next coming days as well. And then we've got the Premier League back next week and then it's all straight back into the swing of things. Are you buzzing for it or would you prefer a little bit of a break or what do you reckon?
1: I'm very excited for it. I must <laughs> admit. Weirdly, the other day, someone was. What were we talking about? Oh, we talked about Antonio Conte. Um, the new deal is on the table. The latest I've read um, for, for for Conte at Spurs. I think what was it a million more a year or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I, I I am excited just to watch Tottenham again, but just in general, you know I, I love club football. I especially love this time of year. I think this is the big thing, like watching the football over the Christmas holidays. Mm. You get back into the FA Cup third round, which is always a great weekend of football, at the beginning of January. Um, and the transfer windows around the corner, which kind of, it's weird to wrap my head around, that, like <laughs> it's just a week and we'll be talking about all the massive transfers that could potentially happen. And obviously these post-World Cup transfers are a thing, right? Everyone who's earned themselves a move because of the tournament it's now going to happen thick and fast. We mentioned Guardiola, for example. Like I fully expect there to be rumours around him. Rumours around um, who was the Croatian keeper, Liv- Livakovic. Uh, yeah. that, you know, Sofian Amrabat could be on the move. Uh, McAllister from Argentina, who's a Brighton. Oh, yeah. This could all rear its head again. So I'm actually really excited for everything to get you know to get back into the swing of things.
0: Are you um are you expecting it to be a bit of a chaotic second half of the season because that was something we were talking a lot about in the first half of the season how is this world cup going to going to affect things are players going to be really tired in the second half of the season are there going to be loads of injuries or do you think it's possible that it might not actually have that much of, a, of an effect at all
1: Well I was trying to calculate the other day and I think firstly players played way less matches than they would have done mm. from the when did it when did it finish the 12th of November I believe that Sunday when United played Fulham the twelfth of November to the twenty-sixth of December is six weeks worth of games, right? And the most teams played were seven in the World Cup, and that's only the finalists.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: On six weeks, six weeks worth of club football, clubs could play ten, eleven games at two a week. Yeah. yeah. Right, and you've got the England squad who played five. So I, you know, I, I even saw some of them on a holiday the other day. They had a bit of a break <laughs> afterwards. I mean, the um, I know that. Quite a few of the clubs did gave the players the rest of November off. I saw Man City returning to training on the 2nd of December, I think. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of time off. Like I said, not every national team and national player play the game. So as much as I know the, the um, fixtures are going to come thick and fast, uh, I don't think we could see that much of a difference. And actually, sorry, very quickly, this brings me on to a very, very random topic. And I thought about this (laughs) earlier in the day. And I was like, I'm going to ask Dan, what has happened to the Christmas schedule? Because when Uh, I was younger, I seem to remember everyone being like, Oh my God, boxing day fixtures. Everyone's playing every two days. It's absolute pandemonium. There's going to be legs falling off. I checked the fixtures. Let me just check them now. So you can probably hear my keys typing in the background. Um, Tottenham play on Monday, the tw- uh Monday the twenty sixth, right? Boxing day against Brentford, with a few other Premier League fixtures. And their next match is the following Sunday at home to Aston Villa. That's a regular That's a regular <laughs> week. That's a, yeah. that's, a, that's a Monday Sunday. Um, fair enough, they have Oh, three days later they've got Crystal Palace, which is a regular midweek game, you know, play a Sunday, play a midweek. And then it's back to the FA Cup the following weekend. So there's no actual. I don't yeah, know. there's As one a kid I thought it was like every two days.
0: There, really, well, there's one game fewer over the Christmas period this year because because uh, City play Leeds on the 28th of December and then they play on the 31st of December and then the next game is the following midweek again. So it's like yeah, there's just it's it's a pretty normal schedule over Christmas this year, but they'll have to fit that yeah. extra game that they've taken out in later in the season and there's also some rearranged games to be thrown in. So it's going to be. Backs to the wall, kind of like three games, a game every three days for the rest of the season, basically. If you go far in all the competitions, but you know, right. again, I think teams are kind of okay, kind of I'll used to this now, aren't like they? Like, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, like you say, it's um, you know players of returning to the clubs now, most of them the ones who were knocked out in sort of the group stages or the last 16 or yeah, in England's case, even that they went out in the quarterfinals and some of them are back sort of playing friendlies with their clubs already. So you think if the clubs were really concerned about players needing rest and stuff that they would have given a bit, a bit more time off, wouldn't you really? But they all have uh, sports science departments that they've invested heavily in in their clubs. So um, I'm sure they they know what they're doing.
1: Sorry, that little rant was basically me being annoyed that there's not as much football to watch, during the Christmas Sunday. <laughs> Not as much Tottenham.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how, how dare they?
1: Yeah, how dare they?
0: Yeah, uh, this is going to be our last podcast of 2022. So what was your favourite footballing moment of 2022?
1: My favourite footballing moment? Uh, well, from a selfish point of view, Spurs finishing top four was very nice. <laughs> um, I also was fortunate enough with work to go to the Champions League final in, in Paris, which was incredible, um, to watch Real Madrid play against Liverpool and, you know, to see a legendary club like Real Madrid pick up a Champions League trophy. was I've only been to one Champions League final before that and I saw Spurs lose to Liverpool it sucked. So to not really have a foot in either camp this time around and just be there to enjoy the game it was kind of cool uh, to see Real Madrid win it. Um, yeah, you know, I did a lot, of, a lot of nice, nice, fun things at work. Went to Florence as well. That was really cool. But I think, yeah, the, the, the football's been pretty cool and the World Cup was was a nice way to finish it off. Uh, looking back on it what about you Yeah,
0: it was a good year for football I think yeah uh, my, I mean I didn't go to the Champions League final this year uh, maybe I'll go to it next year we'll see but um, yeah but my personal favourite moment was <laughs> was going to the Etihad for the final game of the Premier League season and watching City win the title in that uh, that way they did coming from 2-1 down to beat Aston Villa uh, 3-2 was uh, pretty magnificent Ilkay Gundogan I will love you forever for that um, and what was your biggest disappointment <laughs> or your, your least favourite moment of the year in football terms
1: oh, I mean my least favourite moment oh by the way i just got to add my, my favourite moment of the year was watching uh, the Lionesses win the Euros because again I was fortunate enough to be there um, at Wembley in the final to beat Germany uh, that was unbelievable that was yeah <laughs> definitely one of the best days I've had as a football fan uh, a disappointment is the same as every year losing to Arsenal Happens every year for Tottenham, um, and it just it never gets easier. It just still winds me up, no end. Um, I also thought, in some way, Ronaldo's downfall has been a little bit of a disappointment. I was such a big fan of him for footballing reasons, you know. he He was magnificent. It was an absolute joy to watch him, you know, however many years ago. And the way it's kind of soured his career and ended very unceremoniously. Like, Messi's lifting a World Cup while he sat at home unemployed. Like you know, that is—it's obviously sadder for him than it is for me. But I, as someone who used to, yeah, as I say, really enjoy watching him in that great Real Madrid team. It's just a little bit sad, a little bit disappointing.
0: <laughs> the thought of Ronaldo unemployed is quite funny, isn't it? Is he just watching loads of countdown and loose women and stuff like that, and eating loads <laughs> yeah. of toast or whatever? <laughs> is he, is, or is what
1: is watching Tipping Point going? Oh, you know what? I'd absolutely smash this. I've got all the knowledge.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah my worst moment of the year was um was that uh stunning finale at the Bernabéu for City getting knocked out of the Champions League that I uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um I I thought yeah. I was over it. I'm not I'm not over it. I'm not okay, but you know that's fine. Maybe maybe in 2023 City will uh, will avenge those demons for me. We'll see. Uh, yeah that concludes our final podcast of 2022 we're going to take a little break for christmas now and we'll be back in early january so stay tuned for that thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast this year thanks to matt for joining me today and being my co-host with the most this year and uh we'll be back again in the new year with uh, plenty more fun to be had so take care and we'll see you then I